1: Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside. And Em is on leave today. She's been working really hard and deserves some time off and she'll be back next week. Today on the show, we're talking about making a really big move for work. And I'm talking about moving overseas for your career. And I'm joined by one of my very good friends, Grace Murray. Grace moved from her suburban coastal hometown in Newcastle, Australia to New York City and she's going to share her story about how she built her dream career and this story is absolutely wild. You're going to love it. I was mesmerized by Grace telling her own journey and she talks about being bold, trusting your intuition, putting yourself out there and not needing to have it all figured out. You are going to love it. It is gold. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Grace. Hello, Shell. How are you? I am good. And do you know why I'm so good? Because, okay, this is just so exciting because you live in New York. We haven't seen each other for like, I don't know, like probably four years, maybe. Yeah,
2: probably four
1: years. Yeah. With COVID, it's been wild. And seeing you in person, and this is a conversation we've wanted to have for ages to have you on the show to talk about having a career, moving overseas to pursue your career and what that journey has looked like for you because you left. Just to give our listeners a bit of context, you left. When did you leave? <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who are you? Are you and what,
2: what, yeah. <laughs> who are you? Um, so I left in December, it'll be nine years. Nine okay. years, which okay. is wild. Yes. And-
1: Grace is from Newcastle, small coastal town, kind of suburbia and nine years ago you decided to pack up and move to New York. I did. So, tell us about that process because you left your hometown here where you'd grown up your whole life Mm -hmm. and moved and what made you do it? Yeah, well, a couple of
2: things. I think it was something that I'd been thinking about for a while. Um, I'd was in a job, my first big real career job out of uni, um, really didn't like it, really was like, oh no, is this what being an adult is and and all of that that comes with it. Um, and ended up quitting that job because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next and started working at a tequila bar um, in Newcastle as a like, oh, really can't get my head straight on what my next step is and felt really overwhelmed by that job. So I just thought I'd take a little bit of a breather before I made any big decisions. And in the back of my mind for a long time, I'd thought about moving overseas and doing maybe a year somewhere and was kind of tossing up between London and New York Um, and then, you know, I think like a lot of big decisions, they kind of are swirling around for a while in the back of your mind or in your gut somewhere and then one day I was just like, I'm doing it, like I'm going to, I literally was walking in Newcastle Mall past a travel agent who books anything through a travel agent. But I was <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to see how much a ticket to New York is. And the travel agent in there was so hilarious and was like, who hasn't just thought, you know, yes. let's just go to New York. And I was like, right, I'm doing it. um, But I did only think I would do it for a year. And then I kind of thought I would go over – um get a little bit of experience, come back and maybe exaggerate that experience and
1: <laughs> fast track my career a bit. Here. Exaggerate experience to the potential employers. Exactly. Like, oh, local
2: girl done good. She really went out there and, and got that international experience <laughs> and, oh, she's worked in New York. Like I'd heard the way that other people had spoken about people who had worked in New York. And it's almost like I think often in my experience here, it was very, I'm like, oh, she's worked in New York. She's amazing. And like no other information. <laughs> just she <laughs> just literally tick, tick, tick. did it. She she worked there. So I thought if I can do that and then come back, that might actually fast track me a few years. And more than anything, I just wanted, like I didn't yeah. have the next step in mind. And I thought I want to kind of put myself into an environment that, um, Really is very foreign to where I currently am. Even going to Sydney felt like it wasn't a big enough jump. Um, and I had a good friend, one of our, both of our good friends, who was over there already and had been doing amazing things. And I thought,
1: I'm just going to do it. And how old were you at this stage? 24. 24. Okay. And so you had studied, what did you study? Communications. Yeah. And yeah. so you'd went into and you got a job in marketing in marketing
2: advertising yeah so it was like an account service job yeah in marketing
1: and it's really interesting when you get out of uni and you've ticked off the big degree that you felt like well once I have this my career path is sorted like yeah. and you, you really have that sense when you're at uni and you're young and you're figuring it all out not that like we're still young right <laughs> by the way
2: <laughs> totally
1: okay so I want to know, I love what you're saying about that idea swelling around. I think that's a really key thing for anyone listening right now. If you've had this kind of vibe, desire, kind of almost like this intuition around, I'd love to do this thing, but I don't know if I have it in me. I'd encourage you to really listen to that because there's these opportunities in life that we have and it's almost like this moment or window in time where we have this kind of desire and I love what you're saying that you walked down the street, you saw the travel agency (laughs) and you went in and some person there was a part of you moving and making a huge change, which has completely changed your life.
2: Totally. And I remember thinking, so yes, it was swirling around for a long time. And I remember seeing, I think it was on a fridge magnet or something. You know, those like inspirational quotes that are on fridge <laughs> magnets or like a pillow at your auntie's place or something. <laughs> and it said something to the effect of um, one big decision you can make really quickly can change your life. <laughs> that would have been tough to cross-stitch. <laughs> it was
0: a little bit differently to that. Yeah, that's
2: right. Um, but it was swirling around for a long time. And then I remember just being like, I'm doing, like committing to it. And thinking I'm just going to do it and what's the worst that can happen and very blessed to have a, um, you know, safety net, I guess, in my family that I knew I could come back to and all that sort of stuff if everything didn't go particularly well. Um, but I really did just listen to that instinct and made the decision and the more that I get older, um, the more I think about how proud I am of my decisions
1: and uh, that that's one uh, of the things I'm
2: proudest of, really.
1: Totally. It's... There's a huge risk and I think right now you have and we're going to get to what you're doing now because you have had such a hugely successful career but people looking from the outside now would not see that moment nine years ago where you're freaking out and going, I'm just going to do it, I'm going to take the plunge, there's a risk involved, it might not work out but I'm going to trust my instinct around it and give it a go And I love the risk-taking in that and I think for anyone throughout their career there's so many moments where we have to take a risk we have to take that step out and it's okay if things don't work out. But one of the books I've been reading at the moment is by Dan Pink about the power of regret and Mm -hmm. he talks about the biggest regrets we have in life. Did I say regrets? (laughs) Regrets. (laughs) The biggest regrets (laughs) we have in life are the failures of boldness. Mm. So it's not when we take a step and make a bad move, it's actually when we don't do something that we feel we should do. And I love in your story, you've taken multiple along the way risks and that has had a huge re- reward or that you've done a heck of a lot of hard work to get to where you are right now.
2: Totally. And even, you know, moving to New York absolutely was a risk. Um, but quitting the job and going to work in a tequila bar, <laughs> also a risk. And one that people, you know, moving to New York is a kind of glamorous, cool risk to take. But leaving a job that is a quote unquote real job or a career job that you've worked for that is related to your degree. And, you know, in a regional market, tough to get one of those jobs. And to do that and to leave it and to go back to hospitality was a risk that was less glamorous, less... Like everyone kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? That's and but Mm. I, but I had this instinct or this gut feeling of like, I can't, I cannot work here and I can't commit to kind of climbing the ladder at this company or a company like this. Um, And if that means that right now I have to go back to hospitality and I can think about what I might want to do. I'm happier doing that than going down this road. So I was happy with the non-glamorous
1: risk as well. Um, uh, yeah, that is so good. Mm. Like I just want to pause on that because I, I think so. So much of our career, we feel like there's this ladder, like that we yeah. have to climb, and it's so stupidly pressured. Like we have to go and tick all the boxes, and we spend all this money at uni or whatever, and. I need to do that job, even though I I bloody hate it and the culture's toxic and the boss sucks or whatever. And I love that in what you're saying, you actually are prioritizing your mental health, your own well being. Yeah, the external view, people might look on and go, well, what's she doing? But it's really, again, comes back to you're in that environment. You know what's right for you. You're taking a few risks and Let's talk about now the reward of those risks. So you had this big journey. Tell us about your current role. We're going to go back in time in a moment, but tell us about what you're doing now.
2: So my current role, um, I'm the VP of strategy. And how do you feel
1: about <laughs> saying like VP? Because like obviously Australians don't use vice president I mean, it's language. like, who is the president? And there isn't a president. <laughs> it's just the CEO. It's like, I know. It's so weird. It's so, weird. so funny. It's like, oh, wow. Well, if you're the
2: vice president, like, okay, Kamala Harris. Like, where is, <laughs> who's the president? It's like, no, that's just something that. that's just, I don't know. So it does feel strange. It is strange. But it is, I mean, it's an amazing So vice president title. of strategy. Strategy. Vice President of Strategy at Four Fohr, which is an ambassador marketing and influencer marketing company based in the Lower East Side of New York City. We have our teams around ninety people now, which is wild, and they're all so amazing, which is the most exciting and fun part of it all. And there's around a hundred and 80,000 people who have signed up and created a free profile for. So basically, we help brands like Sephora and Dyson and companies like Unilever connect to influencers or content creators that they should be working with to promote their products or their brand purpose or essentially reach customers. Um, so my job is leading an amazing team who tell those brands what they should be
1: doing and how they should do it. And 4 is incredible. I love seeing their journey over the years through watching what you've been doing of really from this startup phase to building this incredible, amazing company that's doing just wild stuff. And I love how you've actually, as the business has grown, you've grown with it. So tell us about, let's go back in time. You get to New York. And tell us what happened to get to where well, you are. <laughs> okay.
2: So, how long do you have? So, we, um, so I should also say I moved over um, with my friend M, who was very similar scenario to me. In fact, we were working at the same company, living in the same house, both not feeling settled in where we were. And she decided to come over as well. So, we got an Airbnb in Williamsburg. We didn't have a plan. We we're on a J1 visa, which I can explain more in a little bit as well. And our whole our plan, quote unquote, was let's just try and meet people <laughs> and see if one of them can get us a job. <laughs> we're just <laughs> we're really good at making friends with people. You let's are just try and do that's that's a superpower of mine. Yes, it is. So let's do that, and we'll we'll just you know try. Um, we got an Airbnb. We were sharing a bed, sharing a room, which we again planned to do for maybe a month. But then it ended up being much longer than that. We'll get to that in a moment. (laughs) Um, But next door to the Airbnb was actually um, – the door was always kind of open. Dog was running in and out of it. Um, And there were these two really kind of glamorous, cool guys walking in and out. And so we could often see into their apartment. We were like, wow, like that apartment – is the same size as ours except ours is cut into four different bedrooms (laughs) and theirs is this huge open space with a view of the Empire State Building and they've got desks in there. Like, I wonder what they're doing. Um, And so we ended up actually knocking on the door one day and using the dog as an excuse to introduce ourselves and being like, oh, we saw you have this beautiful dog. We're Australian. Like, we just want to say hello. (laughs) (laughs) Can we walk your dog? Uh, Really hammed it up and then – they were a bit weirded out but like sure okay I guess so we took the dog for a walk came back and then um like oh we found this bar that lets dogs in do you want to come for a drink with us and we'd love to like know what you're doing in here um one of them said no the other one said yes (laughs) and then so we started talking to him and he was explaining oh you know Bloggers, fashion bloggers are going to be working with brands more and more in the way that, you know, brands work with magazines right now. Um, And we want to be the ones who can help them connect that. We're building technology to allow that to happen. Like, Oh, cool, cool, cool. So like, what kind of clients do you have? And he rattled off like Chanel and, you know, um, Oscar De La Renta and all these really big luxury brands. So straight away we were like, Oh, you know. Maybe <laughs> maybe we could work for you. And he was very upfront and was basically said, we just started, we don't have any um money to hire anyone we are a startup and we're like oh well that's fine we don't have any friends or prospects
1: or
0: <laughs> we
2: have literally nothing plan. we have no plan <laughs> we are sharing a bed we are sharing a bed we are next door um and our plan wasn't necessarily in even in exploring that conversation the intent wasn't necessarily to get a job with him um once he said that it was like oh well maybe we can just work for free for them for a while and they'll introduce us to someone because they'll be kind of indebted to us and we'll just get the bar job or the, you know, store job that we're able to get on this visa that we're on. Um, so they ended up conceding and letting us do that. It did actually take a little bit of pushing to get them to let us do that even though we were offering to work for free. Wow. Um one of them was like, "Yeah, sure," and the other one was like, "No, we need to focus. We need to knuckle down and do all yeah, of this." Yeah, because it's
1: an effort to have someone come on totally. and teach them how to do things. Exactly, exactly. It's a big
2: effort, and so um, James, who's the CEO, who's now one of my best friends as well, is and who I still work with every day, um, was like, "Well, I'm going to have to interview you." <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so we yeah we he interviewed us um was quite scary was it and he was he was quite scary (laughs) and he was I remember him specifically saying we don't have any money but we do have expectations and I was like oh (laughs) Oh, okay um and you know unpaid internships all that sort of stuff but they didn't want us there so we really had to kind of force our way in yeah we ended up kind of, we were also, I should say, I was working in a jewellery store and was working in a bakery. Um,
1: So you were working for your kind of casual gig doing that. And then when would you, you were working at night, you were working whenever.
2: Yeah. So we, we, I was working four days in a jewellery store. Yep. And two days at four. Okay. And at one point also working in a bar at night time, but I only did that for three days because that was that was no bueno. Um, But after about four months of doing that, they said, if you can figure out a way to sell, to bring in clients and essentially bring in business, um, enough business for us to support salaries for you, then we'll be able to hire you.
1: It's really funny you say that. Uh, On an episode that um, we did a little while ago around pay and performance, we talked about this whole concept of fund your own increase, fund your own pay rise, And I think what you're saying is like next level because it's like fund your own salary, like get enough, get some clients in the door and we can pay you for the work that you're doing. But I love the initiative and drive that's there. So it's a really full-on thing. You're working a job, you're in a like totally different environment and you're working for free to try and get some experience. At what point were you thinking – yeah, this is – re- like what made you kind of want to even pursue that? Like what was the driver?
2: Well, I mean honestly even in – I was quite happy in the jewellery store to tell you the truth because, again, we were on a J1 which really abridged version of that visa is you can only get it within a certain amount of time from finishing uni. I think it's like 18 months maybe and you're meant to work um, unskilled – an unskilled job which is kind of an offensive way of saying – in a store, um, in hospitality, whatever. So I thought I've got this jewellery job. I've got this internship. I'm going to – my plan is still to go back to Australia and exaggerate the truth. (laughs) And in a massive way, not reference the jewellery store at all. Pretend that I was working
0: full time. At name Chanel. Name drop Chanel.
2: Name drop Oscar de la Ranta. Um, So I thought everything's going to plan, you know, even yeah. though – and um, even the friends that we'd made in New York were kind of like, oh, are you guys okay? Like, Because we kept saying everything's going really well. Um, we met these guys next door and they – we're now working, you know, for free for them and in a – jewellery shop or whatever and everyone was kind of like oh it doesn't sound like things are going <laughs> super great but I felt like no this is lit- this is what we came here to do we came here to just meet interesting people doing interesting things and be able to take that experience back home um, and kind of have some fun meet some good people in the process and in terms of actually pursuing it in a bigger way it just it just kept Getting bigger and bigger and it kept evolving and it kept feeling more and more like, oh, wow, we're really onto something pretty amazing here. Um, And even though we were just in an apartment, James, again, who's uh, the CEO of Four, always really talked about it as though it growing and becoming successful was inevitable. Like he would talk about, oh, when we have our office in the city and when the team's this size or when – you know, X, Y, or Z happens. And so even when we were working in that apartment, like he was wearing a suit <laughs> to that apartment. Um, it wasn't wow. as, yeah, it was very like, it just kept feeling more and more substantial and more and more like a really big opportunity. And we were going to these meetings all around the city. Another big part of it was like being handed a, um, a business card, like a corporate card oh, if you're going to meetings at a cafe or a bar, like you should be paying. And so I also felt like this is a key to the city. This is a kind of way to be able to meet people, to see interesting places and whatever. And it just kept – there just kept being more and more indicators that not only was this a really interesting company to be at, but this is a space that people aren't aware is going Mm. to be as big of a thing as it is going to be. Um, Prince Dying – lots of different forms of media are dying and this is all just taking off. Um, and so it just felt like the proximity of it, like we were just really kind of, you know, it, at the centre of everything, which I think is one of the things that attracts people to going to New York is just that you are in this place where you can, like, knock on the door of someone next door and then find yourself in the centre of an emerging industry.
1: What I'd want to call out in that, it's not – luck like I've been talking to people lately and they're like yeah it's just you know sometimes you just have to get lucky in your career and I'm like yeah I don't buy that like I think yeah you took a risk to go there but you also knocked literally knocked on the door and right. were like can I work for free for you like I don't want to understate the fact that you've worked your ass off to get to that point and yeah you met this person that was doing something cool but you also worked so hard to be part of what's built and what is there now, which is amazing. Like I think about that as a story of a business. I'm like, oh, you could just – I just love the story of how it – kind of the inception of four and what that meant. But for our listeners to take away from your story, Grace, it's not not about luck but it's actually about knocking on that door. If that's proverbial, Mm -hmm. some kind of metaphor, go and talk to someone. If you see someone that you think I'm interested in what they're doing – Offer your services and, and and say, I can I'd love to learn from you. Can I just have I had someone reach out to me the other day actually and said, Could I've I've got this day free, can I come and do some stuff with you just for free? And I was like, that doesn't happen very often in the current climate. And obviously we don't we definitely do not want to take advantage of anyone um, definitely. working for free, but there is something in Knocking on the door and asking for some experience that's going to be beneficial for you in your career, but also potentially lead to a crazy vice president of strategy of this amazing company that's built. So, like, I just, everyone should jump on Google after this, after you've listened to this episode, Google for to see what it is that they do. But yeah, I I don't think it's about luck. It is hard work and putting yourself out there.
2: Definitely. And I think the thing too, in that story it sounds like oh well they were still lucky because it was next door and this and that and the other which is true a hundred percent that was there's definitely a piece of luck in there but there were also so many conversations that we had like that that didn't go anywhere like I remember having a conversation at a bar in Williamsburg with this um, woman who seemed cool and she was a stylist and I was like maybe I could be a stylist like I could not be a stylist (laughs) You know, like I was like just searching. I was really just kind of gut chasing of like what what conversations can I have? Oh, who? how can I introduce myself to as many people as possible? How can I um, quote unquote knock on as many doors as I possibly can? Um, and so many of them didn't lead anywhere. Mm. And I think that's the kind of trade-off to finding one that works is that again, I would have truly been, if I had worked in that jewelry store, which is called Catbird, if i had worked there for 12 months and, um, you know, made some great friendships, met interesting people, I still probably would have come back and like felt that it was a successful time away because I really did go over there thinking, I just want to, like my, I'm, the risk that I'm taking is trusting my instincts And I'm going over there and what that has meant is that I'm in a jewellery store and great and now I'm coming back and I had a great time. So there's a lot of doors that you knock on that it just doesn't work or it doesn't lead anywhere.
1: Yeah, and the the key is to actually like put yourself out there. Go for as many, like, you know, if that's, you might get 70 knockbacks but you get the one gig that leads to that amazing opportunity that you'd never imagined. Right, 100%. We're just going to take a break and we'll be back in a sec. Hey, Thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So, go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to bluenile.com. That's bluenile.com. Okay, so let's talk. I just love this story so much. Like I'm so into this conversation. If people could see my face, I'm like I feel like I'm really immersed in the story and then I've like got to remember to ask some more questions. <laughs> <laughs> As we go, um, so I want to know about visa. Then what happened? You you had this J one visa that was for unskilled work. Yes, terrible term. Terrible term. Visa terminology is awful. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's gone through that process, it's such a tough thing to do. Wherever you are, it's it's complicated. It's messy. Just give us a really high level version for you of what what happened next
2: with your visa so yeah j1 again it's a visa you can only get when you're a certain time out of uni there is another way of getting it that i wouldn't be able to speak to um but it's only for australians so definitely look it up if that sounds like it could apply to you because it is you can also get an admin job um which can be a foot in the door at all sorts of different types of companies um and then but that only lasts for a year. So we started having conversations with and so the Rich and James the two co-founders agreed that we could classify this as an admin job in the role that once we started uh, working for them full time. Um then we I've still intended to come home. They basically convinced me to stay, but we started having conversations about the E3. And the E3 again is a visa that isn't available to most countries in the world. Australia is one of them. So um, it's an amazing thing that we have access to. Um, you do need a company to agree to hire you to be able to get onto an E3. Um, the difference, or the, I think a key thing to know about the E3 or about getting a visa as an Australian in general is that usually when companies hear visa or sponsorship, they, they can have the tendency to freak out and think it's going to be too hard. Mm. And E3 actually doesn't put a huge amount of onus or pressure on the employer. It is a lot still, it sounds very simple. Like a lot of people kind of downplay that, oh, it's really simple to get it. It still is a lot of like, I'm not a paperwork person. I'm not good with paperwork <laughs> or detail. So for someone like me, it's still a nightmare. So I don't want to downplay that. But for the employer, it really isn't that big of a deal. Um, But you do need them to say like, yep, I'm willing to sign this. I'm willing to, I think there's a small fee, but sometimes people take that on themselves. So I then was on an E3. They last two years and you can just renew them. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're in the same, if you're working for the same company, it's a very simple renewal, but you do have to leave the country to renew it. I always came home to renew mine. Some people use it as an excuse to go to Barbados or
1: Canada or wherever,
2: (laughs) you know, um, but once you're on an E3, you're pretty set. And I think my main advice there would be just know that it is very different to someone from Germany asking an employer in America to sponsor them because that is thousands of dollars and a big Mm. commitment um, and only something that an employer really does if you are like – creme de la creme, special, special person, Um, whereas an E3 you can kind of, you just need to get the right person to agree to it.
1: I mean, let's fast forward now. So we've, you've knocked on the door, you've got this unpaid gig, all of a sudden it's transitioned into a paid role where you're working full-time, you quit Catbird, the jewellery store. Tell us about, it's been Yeah, I'm just thinking about it going wow it's been nine years and I imagine in that time you initially went over what took for it to be a year gig and then all of a sudden you're there and and how did you go navigating I guess well I actually have this career path here and what decisions did you have to make around that
2: um a lot (laughs) uh I mean I guess navigating it um I will say the the pace in New York, at least in my experience, is very different to what I've experienced here. And so I think a lot of the time it didn't necessarily – it hasn't felt like I was planning ahead and making decisions um, ahead. For the long term. Yeah, it has sort of felt a little more like my career path was pulling me and I yeah. was just trying to um, – you know, like someone behind a speedboat just like
1: <laughs> holding on to, your to life. ski
2: but just, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
2: yeah. Like, I felt like that because it's a high-growth startup. It's in a, a yeah, new industry that's moving really huge. quickly. Um, you know, a lot of money has been flooding into it. A lot of new – a lot of competitors have been popping up. The company has been growing quickly. So it has to me – it's felt less like pondering on what my next move is and a lot more like – Oh, wow. Okay. This is where I'm at now. Okay. Now that I'm having a moment to stop and think about it, what decision do I have to make right now? And then I think through that speed and through that pace, I've just become more decisive. And I said before that I'm proud of the decisions I've made. Like, I think I have really um, developed an ability to trust my instincts and they have served me well. Like I'm sure not everyone has that experience and maybe then they tweak their like their instincts kind of t- like your instincts, I yeah. think are kind of like an algorithm in a way where <laughs> your instinct might tell you like, jump off this cliff and then you jump off and
1: like, <laughs> <just> oh, <laughs> <right awful>. <laughs> like, well, why did I do that? <laughs> why did I do that? And then you don't
2: really have an opportunity to tweak the algorithm. So bad analogy there, but I th- <laughs>
1: Oh, great analogy. <laughs> oh, great analogy.
2: So, you know, it's not – I think your instincts are like that. Like they kind of – you. if you listen to them and then it's like, oh, well, that worked. Okay, well, I'm going to do more of that. And then if something doesn't work, it's like, okay, well, what did I learn from that? And mm. then that – you kind of internalise that. And I think that for me has just really uh, rapidly happened. Yes. So now I feel like I – um I also know if it's a big decision and it requires more pondering or if it requires more research or more conversations. Like I I think decisions and instincts are something that you can really develop yeah. and then it becomes really amazing once it's really working for you because then you can just be like, okay, well, you know, I had a really difficult decision I had to make recently And I was getting a lot of advice of like, oh, I really think, you know, this is a big conversation, a tough conversation. I think you should reword this or you should do this or you should do that. And I took a lot of that on board, but there was a lot of advice that I disagreed with and I felt confident to be like, you know what, if I regret how I plan on handling this in a year or five years, I'll just have to live with that. But like, I need to go about this conversation in this way. And I feel like now I'm at that kind of that's where things have led me to.
1: And I love, I'm, I'm hypothesizing from your career story of when you're in a fast growing organization or you're in a role that kind of is the growth is there, you have to trust your gut more and make more decisions at a rapid pace. And I love that your career story has had those moments where you you've started as the unpaid intern Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden over well not all of a sudden because nine years you have got to this point of VP of strategy and I think for a lot of us it's putting yourself into environments where there is that growth where you're Mm -hmm. in an organization where you have that pace of growth so you can learn okay how do I trust my own instincts on certain decisions and how do I Actually, have the self awareness to go back and go, okay, well, I made that decision. It wasn't great. I'm going to learn for next time. And you really are starting like your algorithm. You're creating your own decision making algorithm around your career. And I just love that concept and analogy so much. I'm going to take that away. I want to talk now about a few of the kind of emotional sides of the move because you've built this amazing career. You've got this awesome job. And if I was to look on externally, Without knowing you, I'd be like, wow, she has made it. Like she's done this awesome thing. She's like kicking huge goals. But the problem with only seeing the external is we don't know the internal reality and some of the highs and lows. And, again, we've just had a freaking wild two years or three years, whatever it's been. Tell me about the emotional toll of moving overseas. Let's just go there. (laughs) Let's go
2: there. Let's (laughs) dive deep on this.
1: Um, oh
2: yeah, cannot be, cannot be overstated. Um, is absolutely the, I'd say like the hardest thing in my life, not just in my career, but in my life generally, um, is the kind of day-to-day feeling of missing home, missing my family, missing my friends. Um, also guilt for being the one to leave and, that's something that I've talked to a lot of people who, you know, have left their home to go and pursue a career in my, you know, in my experience in New York, a lot of people feel that sense of like um, of guilt and of um, this deep feeling of being split, like being in two different places, feeling a sense of home in multiple places is a really confusing thing Like, if you think mm. about home as a concept, having that in multiple places is very like, I'm like literally tearing up oh, looking at the shelf. I still uh, <laughs> don't make eye contact because i <laughs>
1: I'm like it, but it's full on. It is
2: full on. It's full on to th- like, if you again, if you think about home as an idea of what you think growing up and what you see in movies and what you hear in songs, it's this very idea of one place. Mm. And, um, you know, there's other things in life that you think are one thing and then they can be multiple things. Like some people think they can only have one real true love and then they might, you know, lose that person and then they might find another true love. Or like there are things that's been a huge adjustment to rethink what home is and that it can be multiple things. So I think that's the main thing I would say is that it's a huge thing that, again, I only plan to be away for a year. Um, I didn't really plan to completely uproot myself and change where I'm based. Um, and that has meant an ongoing, consistently evolving, never-ending, I guess, exploration of, of home, of who I am and how I can continue to be an involved, present member of my family, sister, sister, daughter and auntie. Auntie. (laughs) Um, And so the way that I do that now has to change. And so then you have to be really intentional about like, okay, Mm. well, how frequently can I go home? How, you know, are there other ways that I can show up for the people in my life? Um, and that's still something that I struggle with all the time. I'm like, oh, if everyone in my life knew how much, how frequently I thought of them, it would be so out of whack with how frequently I contact them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I'm like, I'm like, well, like, like, I think if, like every missed text, <laughs> they thought about how many times I think about them in a day. Like that's something I'm just not good at, which is also a really bad thing to not be good at when you live on the <laughs> other side of the world. Um, but that is definitely something that is a huge, huge challenge And downside of Mm. moving away. Um, But then again, you know, you just, uh, humans are more adaptable than we think. And you just um, start, you know, exploring new ways of being and new ways of doing things, but it's definitely the downside.
1: The downside, totally. And I mean, if for our listeners to know, like Grace, your family is so beautifully close, like amazingly close. And I remember when we had my oldest, Sunny, she's nearly five. And when she was born and you messaged me and you're like, I have a gift coming to you. Your mum dropped it over. She, this book, (laughs) Kissed by the Moon, which Sunny still reads, she Drops this over into my house. Read me this book with Sunny. (laughs) Bless her. And so for people listening who are from a close family, your family is super tight. Yeah. An amazing family who I just adore. And there is a toll and there's a toll in every decision. And so it's working out, okay, well, am I – how am I going to still show up, as you said, in a way that makes sense for my family and be present in those moments that I need to be present and also have the self-awareness to go and the conversations around okay I'm not great on text but that doesn't mean I'm not thinking of people and as long as they know that like that's that's I think there is those moments of like the trade-off decisions there's things that happen in our career that mean we make big calls but I think you've done it really well and even just walking into it knowing that this is a cost but I I'm going to work out how to navigate it and I'm going to change things as we go to make sure it still works for me and works for my family.
2: Yeah, exactly. And again, I'm so blessed and so lucky to have my family who a year into being in New York, I remember being like, Oh, well, you know, they're telling me to stay and they're like offering me a much better <laughs> situation than I've had this year and they've it seems like all oh, this is really gonna take off and da 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 but I think like I should just probably just come home because that's like I couldn't live here long-term and be away from all of you. And I remember mum and dad who, again, I'm so close to and would love to just have had me here. I remember them kind of going quiet on the phone and then being like, "What well, do you want to do that? Like is that what you actually want to do and do you think it would be? And that would have been really hard for them, I'm sure. It would have
1: been so hard, um, yeah.
2: And so I'm so lucky that they weren't just like, yeah, you're right, come home <laughs> um, because I think I would have regretted it if I came home. Um, but I stayed and they have been so beautiful as well of like, you know, dad will make a joke of like, oh, wouldn't it be terrible if your flight got cancelled and you didn't have to, you didn't go home. <laughs> um, but then later he'll be like, oh, well, like, I just want to make sure you know that I'm only joking and we're so like happy that you're happy and, you know. So I'm very, again, very lucky to have a family like that who are just in support of everyone being... Happy and everyone doing what makes them happy, and inconveniently for me, that has meant <laughs> following my <laughs> following my uh, gut over to the other side oh, of the world. Yes. But
1: again, there's there's ways of figuring it all out. Yeah, that's right. All right, this conversation has been so good, and there's so many amazing moments throughout this just, this chat where I think oh, I need to write that down. Like that is such gold. We've got time for one more question. So I'm going to hit you with the final one to bring us home. What would you tell your younger self?
2: So I've actually been thinking a lot about this recently um, because I have only realised in the past 12-ish months, despite being quite a confident person, quite a positive person, I've only actually just realized how negative my self-talk can be. And so something that I've been doing that's helping me is thinking about what myself in five years would tell myself, like would say to me now. And then I find myself being a lot kinder to myself of, you know, oh, well, instead of saying, why in that meeting you should have said this or you should have done that or you should have, oh, what did this person think of this thing that you said or whatever? It's like, hey, you're dealing with a lot. You are managing a lot. You're leading a lot. You're doing really well um, and good for you, At you know, of thinking about myself um, in that kind of future tense has been really helpful. So I think what would I tell my younger self? Just like good for you that you are being – brave and bold and um that you are taking these big steps and that you are really going after what you want even though you don't really know what that is yet and I think that a lot of people really think like a lot of people chase dreams but they don't really like chase what their gut is telling them and just because you don't have an end goal in mind doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust and go after what your gut is telling you. So just, I would say, keep doing that.
1: And take that next step. Like I kind of think about your story and it wasn't like you had this big plan of I'm getting this role. It was each time the next thing would come up, you would just take that step and like go and go, okay, I'm going to, to move forward. It's like your dad telling you, are you sure that's the right call? What do you really want to do? And then it's going back to the drawing board going, yeah, no, I'm going to take the next step and see where this leads. And I love the kindness thing i've i i a hundred percent I know our listeners are gonna really agree with that that sentiment of the negative self talk and the feedback loop like mm-hmm. ruminating on oh gee, I could have done that better I could have but just breaking the cycle and saying. I'm just going to give myself a little bit of kindness yeah. and self-compassion. Yeah. Like, oh, what about that stupid thing you said?
2: What about all the smart <laughs> things you said? Maybe don't worry about it. Yes. Like, what could have that one person been thinking when I said this one thing? What could have all of those other people been thinking when you did all of these other great wow. kind of things? Like, And every, I think not enough people talk about, not even enough people think about how many yes. of us do that. I didn't even realise that I was doing that until relatively recently and then I thought, oh, my God. Like, Did someone pick up
1: on it? Did someone like? <laughs> yes. <laughs> who, who was that? A therapist. Oh, good, yeah. Uh, which I, which I con-
2: contracted during the COVID times of being stuck away from my family but she was like, wow, you're really, you're really down on yourself if like it seems like you're doing a lot of really amazing things um, and it took someone just saying that in that very simple way to actually clock it and be like, oh my God, like I, yeah, that's so true. And I wouldn't talk to a friend like this. I wouldn't talk to my brothers like this or my parents or someone I manage or a colleague like this. So I should not talk to myself like this. And I think something that I just didn't really realize because I've always been a positive person, that positivity is different to positive self-talk. Oh. And so you can, be, you can be optimistic and you can be positive and you can still in your brain be telling yourself that you're doing, you're not doing good things or you're not good enough or you're not making good decisions. And so I think that that distinction really helped me and having someone kind of shine a little bit of light on that made me go,
1: you're actually doing all right. You're, you're, you did, you did good. You're You're doing doing good. good. You are. And it's such a beautiful place for us to end this discussion because so many people will hear that take that on and go i need to hear that today and i'm putting my hand up because i'm like oh my goodness there's lots of things grace this is so good to have this conversation thank you so much for joining thank us because we've wanted to do this for like i don't know i must have messaged you like probably 18 months ago and I'm really glad we could do it in person. Me in too. Life. So nice. So nice. All right. Well, hey, thanks for hanging out. And as always, uh, we like your feedback because we're you know feedback lovers. If you like the show, <laughs> give us a five star rating, your review wherever you listen. That helps us get it out there. Thanks heaps. See ya. See ya.
2: We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast.